welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Christ Bible Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. I'm Pastor Levi Secord, and I'd like to thank you for listening. Christ Bible Church exists to bring all of Christ into all of life, and in doing so, we glorify God. This podcast series is not meant to be a replacement for the local church. It is not meant to replace your regular gathering with Christ's people across Christ's earth. And so we encourage you to use these sermons to bring glory to God, to bring all of Christ into all of life, and to strengthen and encourage one another in his name. With all of that in mind, let us turn our hearts and our minds now to the preaching of God's word, and in it may we see and glorify and emulate our Savior. So Monday's coming, because Monday's coming, work's coming. Work is a topic that you often won't hear talked about a whole lot from the pulpit. How should Christians think about work? And when we don't talk about it from the pulpit, we are really sectioning off the Christian life uh, because, according to one study, uh, the average person spends 93,000 hours working during their lifetime. And that's just your occupation. That doesn't count things or include things like housework or yard work or schoolwork. Or this doesn't include uh, the many more hours a week that stay-at-home moms put in to their week. Work is unavoidable. And if the Christian life doesn't inform your work life, then the Christian life doesn't inform most of your life. And that's a problem. Many pulpits tend to avoid this topic. And the most application you'll get is be a hard worker and don't cheat and don't steal. And those are certainly good things that you should and shouldn't do as a Christian. And there's nothing wrong with that instruction. But is that all there really is to being a Christian at work? I had an opportunity recently to hear David Bonson, the son of Greg Bonson, speak on this topic. He's actually got a a book coming out on this topic uh, early next year. And he points out how the church often treats the topic of work with suspicion. There's another thing you'll often hear from pulpits is pastors saying, make sure you don't idolize your work. Make sure you don't work too much. Treat work as a necessary evil. You have to work so that you can fund the real work, which is pastors and missionaries. And while, again, you should fund such things, is that the only reason you go to work? Or you may even say, well, I work so that I can feed my family. I can provide for my family. Again, nothing wrong with that. But even Paul points out that if you don't provide for your family, then you're worse than unbelievers. So that just gets us to the level of unbelievers if you work to provide for your family. To be fair, there is a segment of the church that discusses work a lot, and that would be the Word of Faith movement or the prosperity gospel. You don't know much about them? Good. But I'll give you a little bit of a a briefing. If you have enough faith, God will bless you materially and with health and wealth and happiness. But if that is all the gospel is, then there really isn't much hope beyond this life. And so nothing I say this morning should be taken as endorsing that movement. In response to the prosperity gospel, some well-intending ministers like myself will then go in the opposite direction. Let's just not talk about it at all. And when they will have a distrust to those in their congregation who are successful. Sometimes successful individuals in the church are often viewed as greedy or they must be workaholics. And this imbibes in the church a class envy and a distorted view of individuals that 
really made the ground fertile for the social justice to come social justice movement to come into the reformed church pastors have a way of treating wealthy christians with suspicion until they need their money for a building project and so pastors can fall into this trap of belittling non-ministry occupations and this leaves their flock woefully unprepared for being a christian win 93,000 hours of their life. We forget that one of the distinguishing marks of the Reformation was this thing called the Protestant work ethic. If you haven't heard about it, well, you're going to hear about it a lot today, so buckle up. But this Protestant work ethic changed the world for the better. You have received the benefit of this. And I hope to address this to this morning. I'm going to read to you a long quote here from a fellow pastor that I think illuminates this problem for us. I actually went to seminary with him. His name's Derek Brown. This is what he, he writes. And I'm going to reference Derek throughout this, this message. He says this, The more I got to know our church members and regular attenders, I observed that a number of these folks, many of them theologically well-grounded Christians, held faulty, held faulty views of their daily work. The problem was not that these believers were too easily yielding to the temptation to idolize their work and to locate their whole identity in what they did for a living, although that was an issue for some. For those who actively sought to walk in faithfulness to Jesus, the danger of worshiping one's job was a hazard, often easily discerned and successfully navigated. Rather, my concern was that several of the people with whom I interacted viewed work chiefly as a burden, a mere means to a greater end, read more spiritual end. They were required to bear on the way to heaven. Consequently, they believed that what they did during the day to earn an income or manage the home was not nearly as important as what they did in the Sunday school room or on their missionary trip. It became clear to me that my efforts in discipleship would involve reorientating these believers to a more robust vision of work invocation. Derek Brown is 100% right. When we talk about discipleship, when we talk about the Christian life, it has to, it must inform your work life. Proverbs 16.3 says, commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. God is to be at the center of your work life. Like this proverb tells you point blank, God cares about your work. Commit your work to the Lord and your plans will be established. So I want to spend the first half of this message unpacking what I call the Protestant work ethic and then the second half I'm going to make some applications for work life from the book of Proverbs. So the Protestant view of work, like any other good bit of theology, begins with who God is and Him as Creator. God Himself works. We see this in the, in the Sabbath day. In the seventh day, God rested. Why did He rest? Because on the first six days, God worked. And He worked diligently. He created this material world and He looked at it and He said, this is good. Indeed, it is very good. So the physical world is not the problem. The physical world is not what is wrong or something to be escaped. God then created man in His own image and He put man in a garden to work and keep the garden. He charged him to go out then also into the whole world and subdue it and to have dominion over it. Theologians call this the cultural mandate. 
And in the word culture, you should hear the same word cultivate. Culture is cultivating the world. It's like being in a garden. God created the world and he put man in it to work on his work. God's work was the world. And he made man and he said, work on my work. But God created everything, this means, with potential, not with the fullness of its output. The world is brimming with potential that man is to bring out. Consider a couple quotes here. First from Henry Meter. In his cultural task, man is to take the raw materials of this universe and subdue them and to make them serve his purpose and to bring them to nobler and higher levels thus bringing out the possibilities which are hidden in nature. Or this quote from Andrew Sandlin. Creation was very good, but it wasn't everything God intended it to be. God wanted man to add to his holy ingenuity to improve it. I hope you're tracking, tracking with this. Now let me put some flesh on this. God created the world, the raw materials of the world, with potential. He put man in the world to bring out that potential. God made trees. He didn't make houses. God made trees, and we took the wood from those trees, and we make ships and houses. God made stones, but He didn't make the castles. He didn't make the roads. Humans did that as they imaged God. God made sand with the potential to be turned into parts for electronics, including your smartphone and your computer. Man figured that out as he imaged God and fulfills his role. God made petroleum that is used to heat houses, fuel cars and jets, and is used for countless plastic items. God has made this world with raw materials ripe to be brought forth into greater things. That's your job. That's my job. This is how we picture God. And in all of this, we see an important point. There is no secular or sacred divide in work. Central to humanity is the call to serve and glorify God through all righteous occupations. You see, before the Reformation came, there were two categories of work. There was the secular work and there was the sacred work. And if you wanted to truly serve God, the only way you could do that was doing sacred or holy work. You had to become a monk, or a priest, or a nun. The commoners were left with the secular, less important work. But the Reformation came in, and it said things like the shoemaker serves God just as much as the priest does. You serve God in your occupation just as much as I do in mine. It's not easy for pastors to say. Everyone wants to say their job is the most important If you went through college, you realize that most of your college professors always thought their class was the most important class. But being a pastor, while a noble calling, is not categorically better than any other calling. And this thinking turned the world upside down. We have things like vocation now. If you don't know what that word means, the the word vocation literally means calling. And before the Reformation came in, That word calling was only used for a calling into the ministry. We still use that terminology today. I have a friend who just um, accepted a call from another church. And so he packed up his family and moved to Indiana because he received a call 
from a church, which means job offer. But the Protestants expand, expanded the word vocation to include all careers, and we still use it that way today. Vocational training means your calling, your job, your work. So what is your calling in life? We all have different gifts and abilities. And this thinking of the Reformation returned dignity and meaning to all forms of work, and it fueled a modern revolution of technology and wealth. And you sit here today benefiting from that. And so the lawyer, the teacher, the businessman, the garbage man, the pastor, the shoemaker, the homemaker, all have callings upon their life from God. Every one of them. And there's equal dignity in all of those careers. And this all begins with rejecting the secular, sacred divide of life by understanding that God is creator and he's also a worker. Another Protestant doctrine that undergirds this Protestant work ethic is justification by faith alone. You may be wondering, what does that have to do with working? Put it plainly, if your works are a part of how you earn salvation, then you should probably quit your job and go join a monastery and do as many works as you possibly can to make sure that you're saved. It's only the, the priest and the monk and the nun who are serving God in their 93,000 hours of their life. But the doctrine of justification by faith alone freed individuals to serve God throughout all of life, not just when they're praying. Derek Brown explains, the, doctor, the doctrine of justification by faith then removed the distinction between so-called sacred and secular employments because it taught that one's work, whether it was church-related or otherwise, was never determinative of one's salvation. Nor did Scripture require men and women to neglect their daily callings or their needy neighbor in order to perform the good works necessary for salvation. To put it succinctly, the gospel renews man. The gospel is a free gift that you cannot earn that brings full forgiveness of sins by grace through faith and that frees you to go out into all of life and know that you are saved. You can please God only in and through Christ and by His righteousness. Not by engaging in religious rites or monasteries or fasting or whatever it may be. Therefore, you are free to serve God in all of life. Not just when you're here on Sunday or Wednesday or whatever it may be. This noose that the Catholic Church had around work was further cast off by the doctrine of the priesthood of all believers. Can you imagine this if you were a priest in the Catholic Church at this time and you, you left behind your secular work so that you could be a priest of high standing and then people like Martin Luther come in and say, actually, you're all priests. Not just the bishop, not just the pope, not just the guy performing the sacraments in front. You are all priests if you are in Christ. The farmer and the Catholic Pope are both equally priests. You see why the Pope didn't like Martin Luther? Turn the world upside down. These theological truths are not just for Sundays. One last point on the Protestant work ethic. Our different jobs, the Reformers told us, in them, we as individuals... Wear the masks of God. I know, after the last three years, you probably don't want to hear about masks. But, there's something really important here. Brown again. 
We encounter the baker who prepares and supplies our bread, but behind this baker is a gracious Creator faithfully providing for His creatures. Far from serving as a mere means to a more spiritual end, our work has an inherent dignity and value because it is God's chosen means to provide for His creatures. Whatever occupation you serve in, when you enter that role, you put on a mask of God. You are representing God in what you do. The baker provides bread or food for the individual, but it's really God through that baker who is providing that food. Give us this day our daily bread. The teacher instructs the student in truth. God is the ultimate teacher who has given His Word, who instructs us in truth. The lawyer brings and defends justice, just as God is the just judge of the universe. Parents care for their children and raise them up as God is the good Father who cares for His children. Construction workers build houses. God built the world. I hope what you're seeing here is this whole world is dripping with meaning. Every occupation. This whole world is dripping with meaning. And all of it, Psalm 19 tells us, is saying God is there behind it all. All of this world is saying God is there. See Him. And this is how we see the inherent dignity of work. This is why just cutting a check is not as powerful as providing work for individuals. For those who are able to work, work is a part of what it, is, what it means to be human, to be like God. But there's more than just loving and picturing God in our work. It includes loving our neighbor. We provide goods and services to other image bearers. To put it most plainly, if everyone in this room was a pastor, we would have no food to eat. We would have no farmers. We would have no homes to live in, to buy and to sell. We would have no computers because we would have no techies. We would have no houses because we would have no construction workers. Our shelves would be empty when you go to Target because there would be no truck drivers delivering the food. There would be piles of waste all around our streets because we would have no garbage men or no plumbers. In our work, we not only mirror God, but we love our neighbors. And we serve them. If we had no soldiers, evil men could come in and win at any moment. And the soldiers picture the victorious king, Jesus Christ, who slays the great dragon. All this world is teaching you about Jesus. The masks of God are everywhere. And so God has called and equipped you to work and to wear probably several of these masks throughout your life. And it matters. Dedicate your work to the Lord. Now that that foundation is built, let's give some application from the book of Proverbs. Wisdom is the art of skillful, godly living. It is a part of your sanctification to become more Christ-like in those 93,000 hours. Work is important to your discipleship. So first, work hard and be diligent by avoiding laziness. Here is a verse I had my sons memorize. Proverbs 6, verses 6-11. through 11. Go to the ant, O sluggard. Consider her ways and be wise. With any, without any chief, 
officer or ruler, she prepares her bread in summer and gathers her food in harvest. How long will you lie there, O sluggard? When will you arise from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come upon you like a robber, and want like an armed man. We're back to that sowing and reaping principle. Hard work pays off. Laziness invites poverty into your life. This is, should be common knowledge, but Solomon tells us this principle of diligent hard work is baked into the universe. That little ant mound in your yard that's bothering you because it's ruining your, your lawn is declaring the glory of God. You need a manager. Like We don't have managers in our work. Like People stop working. The ant doesn't even need a manager. He just works. And he works hard. Nature cries out to us and God is teaching us through the ant. The warning is clear that sloth or laziness leads to poverty and want. And today we often subsidize sloth and laziness. Well, it is true that there's a temptation to become a workaholic and you should avoid that temptation. That is not the main temptation we face today. Like if you just rewind three, four generations, like we have the easiest lives out of anybody. Our life is easy. We don't have to work hard. Like if people didn't work hard in those generations, they just died. That doesn't happen today. We have more than we could possibly want. More and more as people talk about how much they need me time and how much they need breaks from their hectic lives, they fail to realize how truly blessed they are. And of course, you do need rest. But my goodness, your rest is not you directed. It's not about me. It's about God and others. The Christian needs to rest for sure. But it is about, the Christian life is about dying to the self, not finding more time for the self. The Christian must work and he must work hard. Just think of Christ. There's Christ on earth. God the Son takes upon a frail human nature and he works so hard that he often has to withdraw and is about to pass out. But does he go to the mountains to have a little bit of me time? He goes to the mountains to pray and to recharge so he can get back out there and serve others. Your life is about giving it away to those who are more important than yourself. Second, take calculated work or risks. Take calculated risks and then work hard to make them successful. We don't live in a safe world. There will always be an excuse to not take a risk. And that risk is inherently risky. It may fail. But we often become paralyzed by the fear of failure. I return to one of my favorite Proverbs, chapter 26, 13. The sluggard says, there's a lion in the street. There's a lion in the street. His made-up justification for doing nothing is that he's afraid that a lion might come and eat him. He is, he is making up excuses to be a sluggard. Contrary to that, Christians should take calculated risks. Nothing risked, nothing gained. No pain, no gain. How do you know it's a good risk or not? I don't know. Find some people who are wiser in that area of life and ask them for input. There are such things as foolish risks, and you should avoid those, but you learn the difference between the two by falling down a few times. Third, whatever field you are in, work to grow in your skill, and you will be rewarded. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-nine. Do you see a skillful man in his work? He will stand before kings. 
he will not stand before obscure men. Whatever passion the Lord has given you, whatever skills or gifts he has given you, work to hone those and to become better. Steward the gift and become the best in it you can become. And God will reward you. The cream does generally rise to the top. Good and great workers are much more likely to be honored. Many would like to perform before kings. Few want to do the work that it takes. Fourth, in summary, in the area of work, you will reap what you sow. Proverbs 12, 24. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. Consider that one again. The hand of the diligent will rule, while the slothful will be put to forced labor. The diligent worker works hard, and through his hard work actually gains freedom. The sluggard, in his search for freedom and laziness, actually ends up enslaved. Thus, while the church should and does welcome everyone of every status, of every occupation, because they are all equal in dignity, the church is a place that values and honors hard work. For this is a part of our sanctification, to work as God has designed us. Not out of a selfish desire to climb some ladder, but to serve God and to serve neighbor. So what do we take from all of this? First, the Christian, as you prepare for Monday morning, we remember that the world is cursed. There are thorns and thistles and work is sometimes hard and frustrating. But the Christian is uniquely equipped to give and to get the most out of work. We know what we're doing. We know that it matters. We wear the masks of God in our work and we do so joyfully, to love God and to love neighbor. Brothers and sisters, know that Sunday morning, Wednesday, church events are important, but that's not the only place you serve God. This is not the only important things that happen in your life. Your pastor and your elders know this. And we are thankful that we have a wide variety of occupations here. Therefore, work for the glory of God, knowing your work is one way in which you can picture the gospel of Jesus Christ. That you mirror the goodness of the Father. That you work in the freedom of justification by faith alone. You don't work to be saved. You are already saved, therefore go work. Work for your neighbors, providing the bounty of God through the goods and services that you provide. Work skillfully, displaying the goodness and beauty that God has put into this world. Take dominion as an image bearer. This is what it means to be a Christian for 93,000 hours of your life. You're living it. And so our, our salvation is not based on our works or our work. Therefore, we go into the Father's world in hope and confidence because Christ has died and Christ has risen and Christ is coming back. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you again this morning that you speak to us in your word. We pray, Lord, that as we go into many different vocations throughout this week, that we would go with renewed purpose, with renewed strength and enthusiasm, knowing that you have called us to these deeds, you have called us to these occupations, and you have equipped us to mirror you, 
to show the world the goodness of God the Father, the goodness of the Creator, and the confidence of those who have been redeemed by the blood of Christ. Lord, we ask that Christ Bible Church, as she goes out into the world, might picture her Savior. And that through this, Lord, your glory would spread and your kingdom would come. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Christ Bible Church. Remember, this world is dripping with meaning because Christ created it, He sustains it, and He is reconciling it all to Himself. Now go and live out that glorious truth.